All right, so just a quick statement to start us off. Do you know that most people find it difficult to ask for help? Some of you know that's true. And yet the same people will give advice to others like, you just need to ask for help. We tell others all the time, just ask for help. But for most of us, we don't do that. We don't ask for help. And why do you think that is? Why do you think it is that we don't, or we're not so willing to go and ask people for help? Wow, church, that was right on the button right there. You know, it's like we know, guilty. It is definitely the pride of life. It promotes this mentality that, that I can do anything, that maybe I just need to, to work harder. Maybe I need to try harder. Maybe I need to think harder. But the same mentality is even crept in amongst the people at church. And when I say the church, I'm not talking about just this church. I'm talking about the church universal, that Christians have this same mentality. Does anybody in here know the Bible verse that says God helps those who help themselves? I heard, I heard second opinions, which is not in the Bible, but that's a funny book that we can make up. Second opinions. Believe it or not, it is not in the scriptures. Yet you'll hear people say that. Don't you know God helps those who help themselves? Try to find that. It's not here. Here's the shocker. The reality is just the opposite. God helps those who are helpless. God helps those who cannot help themselves. But there's a humbling fact of being able to say, I need help. It's humbling. Because from a young person, we were probably told, try harder, work harder, think harder, do more. And it's like, if I could just get this done, I can make it happen. And yet when we come to God, it's, I need help. I need help. There are things that I cannot do. This morning, we're going to continue in our study through the book of John. We're actually starting John chapter 5 this morning. And we're going to see the third miracle that John records that Jesus does. If you're taking notes this morning, the title of the sermon is Hope for the Helpless. Hope for the Helpless. We'll be studying John chapter 5 verses 1 through the beginning of verse 9. And those of you who like to take notes, I'll give you the points already so you can write them down. Point number one will be the helpless condition of man. The helpless condition of man. Point number two we'll look at this morning is the hope of sovereign grace. Point number three, the hidden work of regenerating grace. And the last one this morning, the healing of saving grace. So the helpless condition of man, the hope of sovereign grace, the hidden work of regenerating grace, and the healing of saving grace. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. If you would open up to John chapter 5. If you don't happen to have a Bible this morning and have a bulletin, you could open that up. The text will be in there this morning. But once you get to John chapter 5, could you rise to your feet for the honoring of the public reading of God's holy word? John chapter 5, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Verse 1, after this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. 
one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. So reads God's inerrant, infallible, and holy word. Please be seated, church. So before we get started in our text this morning, I want to address maybe a confusion, something that some of you might have, depending on the translation you have in front of you. If you have an ESV in front of you, look in John chapter 5, and you'll see verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 5. We all know how to count, right? What comes after 3? Right. In the English Standard Version, verse 4 is gone. And if you have some other versions, the same thing. Some of your versions will have some brackets in verses 3 and 4. And if you have a King James or a New King James, it just has the full verse 4 in there. And say, what's going on? I, mean, I thought this was a book I can trust. Why the confusion? What's going on? Well, if you have a New King James translation or a King James, it's going to tell you in verse 4 that an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up this water. And so the person that went in there would be healed. Well, interestingly enough, the, the earliest and most reliable transcript or manuscripts of the Bible don't have that. So somewhere along the way, a well-intentioned scribe decided, let me explain what's going on, what the superstition of the day was. And here's what the superstition was. The people believed that when this pool moved, which was most likely a nearby spring pumping a surge of water into it, caused movement of the water, they thought, oh, an angel's doing it. we got to go in there and be healed. That's what the people believed. That's what their hope was, was in the stirring of this pool. So now in our modern translations, we look back at the original manuscripts and look and say, well, that wasn't in the original. And some of you say, wait a minute, does that mean I shouldn't trust my Bible then? Actually, you should trust it even more because we can now verify and look at every single word that is in here and uh, compare it to the original or the earliest and most reliable manuscripts and know what's there. So this morning, don't get jaded and go, wait, the passage just confused me and said it is or it's not and it can be or it won't be. What you have is the Word of God, and it's validated, and it can be evaluated, so we can fully and wholly trust what we have. So this morning, I'll be teaching again from the ESV that does not hold those verses in there, since those were not inspired by God. They were put in there by man, and we will not be reading those this morning. So let's go ahead and start our study in point number one. Point number one is the helpless condition of man. If you're writing that down, take notes. And I want to tell you this, this is not going to be just a cut and dry sermon where we look at Jesus doing a miracle and say, ta-da, miracle's done. Because we just read nine verses. And what happened in those nine verses? There's an invalid. Jesus comes in, asks him if he wants to be healed. He gives Jesus an answer. Jesus heals him. We're done. Go home, church. We're done. There it is. There's a miracle. But instead, in what we're giving or what we're given this morning, there is a spiritual truth that will apply to all of us as we look through this. Let's look at the helpless condition of man. The first three verses this morning, we read, After this there was a feast of the Jews. Jesus goes up to Jerusalem, and there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, 
which has five roofed colonnades. Which, by the way, if you have the opportunity to go and visit Israel, you can actually go and visit this place. I've been there. It was unearthed by archaeologists 130 years ago. So in 1888, they actually found this exact location. And you can go and visit it. But something happens there. We'll see in verse 3. There are multitudes of people there. Most likely hundreds and hundreds of people. And it says they are invalids. They're blind, they're lame, and they're paralyzed. And why are they there? Because there's this superstition that somehow when this water moves, if you get in there, you're going to get healed. And church, that's where their hope was. It was in a superstition. It's kind of like someone says to them, oh man, I don't want that to happen. Knock on wood. What does this do, by the way? It doesn't do anything. Answer the door. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything. But superstitions creep in all the time. But here we have the truth of God. We can seek and find out what God has and what God explains. They came seeking a healing. They were hoping that if you get in there, you're going to get healed. But the first thing that John describes them as is invalids. He says they're invalids. They're people without strength to help themselves. That's what we have gathered around this pool. A bunch of people who are weak. And their disabilities are spelled out in three ways. John says that they're blind, there's some lame, and there's some that are paralyzed. And church, if we step back for a moment and we're able to see the perspective of God when he looks on mankind, this is the human race as it stands apart from the grace of God. That apart from the grace of God that comes through Jesus Christ, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Gathering and hoping for something good. And this is how God views fallen man. That they are in need. That we are helpless. That we are without strength to help ourselves in our most needed area, which is spiritually speaking. That's why when some of you read your Bible and you come across Romans chapter 5, verse 6, Paul writes, for while we were still weak, that word weak there is important. He says, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That word weak is just like those who are invalids, those who are blind, lame, paralyzed, those who cannot help themselves. And because we cannot help ourselves, Christ died for us. In Romans 5, 6, that word weak means feeble. It means unable to achieve anything great destitute of power among men and sluggish in doing right. In other words, God tells us here that it's impossible for us to do anything for ourselves spiritually apart from Christ. And that's why Christ had to die. Church, many of you know it's impossible for us to save ourselves. It's impossible it's impossible for us on our own accord to be forgiven of our sins. There's nothing in our power that we can do to be forgiven. It's impossible for us to do more good to outweigh our bad. It's impossible to merit the favor of God. God declares all man that we have fallen short of his glory. And there's nothing that in our own strength we can do to satisfy him. That's why Christ had to die so amazing you know good friday comes and goes people say how can it be good that an innocent man would die for us 
because we couldn't do it for ourselves. We needed help. There had to be another who would step in. You know, spiritually speaking, being invalids, being blind, being lame, being paralyzed, the Bible speaks of itself as being spiritually discerned. Do you know anybody who says, I've read the Bible, I don't get a thing out of it. I have no idea what it's saying. Maybe they understand some stories. Maybe the people on Jeopardy know all the answers to you know, specific things of the Old Testament that happened. But there's no spiritual meaning to it to them. Why? Well, we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, speaking about our, our fallen nature, it says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So a person says, I've read this, I've looked at it, and it doesn't make any sense. It's because first you need the Spirit of God to be able to discern the Spirit of God. To understand the mind of God, you've got to be given the mind of God. So for those of you who have, as we saw earlier in our study in John chapter 3, been born again, been given the Spirit, all of a sudden some things start making sense in here. All of a sudden it's not just a book of stories and a book of history, but it's a book of life and truth. But here, John lays out and characterizes man's fallen state, and he describes them in three terms. Again, in verse 3, he says, there's multitudes of these invalids, there's blind, there's lame, and there's the paralyzed. The blind. You remember when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus in John chapter 3? He said, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. We are, by nature, spiritually blind. We can't see the things of God. God must give us a new heart, must give us new desires, must give us new eyes to see his truths. This is the amazing truth of God. This is the amazing miracles that God does. Spiritually blind, he also says, but they're also lame. Think about this, without the Spirit of God, we're spiritually crippled. We hobble, hobble along by one idolatrous view of God to the next idolatrous view of God to the next idolatrous view of God. People say, well, I tried this. I tried that. I tried a little bit of Buddhism. I tried a little Hinduism. I tried a little bit of spiritually crippled. Hobbling along. And the last term he uses here, he says that humanity is paralyzed. What does that mean? It means we might have the knowledge Ask somebody. Ask somebody questions. People are coming in and out of church. Ask them questions about God. A lot of people know a lot of knowledge, but don't have the power to do anything with it. They have the answers. They say, well, I know we should do good and not bad. I know we should walk in righteousness. We should be like Jesus. And they go on and on and on. But the only problem is, apart from Christ, there's no power to do any of that. They're paralyzed, and they cannot do what they know they ought to do. Some of you know the Apostle Paul said something very much like this. That in his fallen state, that apart from Christ, apart from the power of God in his life, he said this in Romans chapter 7, verse 18. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. In the flesh, apart from Jesus Christ, apart from the Holy Spirit, we are paralyzed. 
to do anything of righteousness. And that's how John lays this out, that there are those who are blind, there are those that are lame, there are those who are paralyzed, they are invalids. That is the condition of mankind. So church, if that is our condition, then naturally, woe is us. Woe is us. If we are blind and lame and paralyzed, that we could do nothing to save ourselves, woe is us. Not only helpless, but if that was the end of the story, we'd be hopeless as well. But we're not hopeless. Because as we look in point number two, we see the hope of sovereign grace. The hope of sovereign grace. So Jesus comes into this area. There's the pool. There's all these multitudes of invalids. And we read in verse 5 that there was one man there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Now wait a minute. Multitudes. Most likely hundreds of people there. But John points out Jesus talks about one. Jesus addresses one. They're all blind, lame, or paralyzed. But Jesus addresses this one. Jesus, out of the whole crowd, can command a healing for this one. I want you to notice, did this man come seeking Jesus then? Did he cry out, Jesus, come to me? Did he reach out to grab Jesus? In the text, we read none of that. Jesus chooses him. Out of all these people, Jesus goes to him. So what's up with that? Well, let's keep reading what, what goes on. Jesus comes to him, and he sees that this man has been an invalid and knows that he's been an invalid for 38 years. Jesus knows everything about this man, that this man has wandered in a helpless condition for about the same amount of time that Israel wandered in a helpless condition through the wilderness. And just like Jesus chose Israel, Jesus is going to choose this man. This man is chosen. And here's the thing about chosen. What does that mean? Hand-picked. Hand-selected. Chosen by God. It means loved. And here's the crazy thing about this. This doctrine is called the doctrine of election. And there's so many people who are so upset about it and say, wait, God chooses? You know, God can do whatever He pleases, but the fact that He would choose you to cherish you, to love you, to look at you in your helpless condition and reach out his hand to you. How great is this God? It wasn't because I pleaded and begged and said, look, I'm so great and wonderful, choose me. It's because he looked down and had mercy upon me. He looked down and had mercy upon me. This idea is a beautiful thing. We read in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, that even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, it was out of love that he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. It's what he desired. It's what he wanted. And look, it's not because he watched us for a certain amount of time and said, oh, okay, they passed the test. Not at all. Before the foundations of the world, he chose us. It wasn't in his foreknowledge that he said, well, Robert's going to turn out to be an okay guy. I'll choose him. He's going to say, Robert is dead. 
in his sins and trespasses. But I'm going to breathe life in him. And I'm going to use him for my glory. And he says the same about you as well. That you being dead in your trespasses and sins, that he would breathe life into you and choose you and adopt you into his family. We read in Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those, look at verse 30, whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What does that mean? What God starts, God finishes. That what he has begun, he will finish. That when God selects, he will do the work and he will make you get there. That he will help you endure and persevere through all life's trials and difficulties. Church, it is a false gospel that has been preached when it says, if you turn to Christ, your life's going to be perfect and peachy and there'll never be any problems. Read your Bibles. Read about those who follow Jesus the closest. They died for their faith. They were persecuted. They had hardships. But you know what they had? They had Christ on their side. And no matter what came their way, they endured and persevered and are now in glory with him for now and forever. And that is the hope that goes to those whom he's called. Romans 9.16 says this. It says, so it doesn't depend on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Salvation is entirely of our God. He picks. He chooses. Jesus goes into the crowd of these multitudes. They're all invalids. They're all lame. They're blind. They're paralyzed. And he goes up to this one man. Amazing thing. Hand-picked, hand-selected, the love of God being poured out upon him. We will study later in the book of John, in John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You guys, this is all orchestrated by God. This morning, if you know him, the only reason you know him is because he's drawn you to himself. He's hand-selected you. He's picked you. He's poured his love out upon you. If this morning you're going, I don't know him, but I want to know him. If he's illuminated his truth to you, taking the blinders off your eyes from being blind, it's because he's inviting you to come to him, to follow him. This is all the work of God. And we'll see this work unfold in our study this morning in point number three, the hidden work of regenerating grace. Well, those are some big words. What is that? When I hear what God does, what he has to do in us to get us to follow him. You know, I've heard people say, you know what, Pastor, I made the best decision of my life when I chose to follow Christ. I'm not going to argue with that. I mean, that's a great thing. If you're given the opportunity to follow Christ, of course that is a great decision. But the reality is, woe is me. God has come and rescued me. And God has called me unto himself. And God has freed me from myself and given me the blessing of faith to follow him. That God has to do a miracle in you and in me to get me from being an invalid. One who is blind, one who is paralyzed, one who is lame. That God is a miracle to get us to respond. We see in verses 6 and 7 of our passage this morning, speaking of this man who's been uh, invalid for 38 years, says when Jesus saw him lying there, 
and knew that he had already been there a long time. He said to him, do you want to be healed? Now stop there for a second and think about that question. Right? Wait, what do you mean? Do I want to be healed? I'm here by this pool that I believe I can get in that pool. When it's stirring, I'm going to be healed. And Jesus says, do you want to be healed? To me, it's like pulling up next to a car where a guy's got the hood up. And you go, have a car trouble? Yeah, have a car trouble. Why would Jesus stir this among man? Why even ask this question? It seems obvious. But look at the response that he gets. Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. When the water is stirred up and while I am going, another steps down before me. This man had a false hope. This man thought, if only I can reach this waters first. But the sad thing is, he couldn't. He couldn't get there. He needed help. Even if these waters were actually what the people thought they would do, he could not get there before anybody else. He needed help. And Jesus comes as the perfect Savior, the one who's come to seek and save that which is lost. And he's standing right before the man and going, oh, you still want to be helped? Well, guess what? That water is not going to do it for me. But you do need help. Because you are in a helpless situation. I referred to it earlier, John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus talking to Nicodemus told him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Church, in order for that to happen in our lives, God's got to do something within us. It is not because we just reason it out like, well, here are the pros for God, and here are the cons against God, and let me see if this one outweighs this one. Okay, I guess I'll believe in God. It doesn't work. That is not a saving faith. Something must take place within us. We've already studied in John chapter 1 in the prologue of this gospel. John chapter 1 in verses 12 and 13. It says, but to all who did receive him, who received Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There's a comma there. Verse 13 says, who were born of God, or excuse me, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Meaning God did a miracle in the lives of his people so that they can receive Christ. See, the things of Christ are folly to those who are perishing. These are just stupid. Why would anybody believe in this fairy tale? Why would anybody believe in this story that's been going around? But when God does a miracle inside the person, when God regenerates that person, all of a sudden that thing that they once thought was a fairy tale, that, that story that they said, well, these, these fools believe in it, now it's become true. How does that happen like that? They didn't convince themselves. God did a miracle. He regenerated them. He caused the blinders to fall off their eyes. The spiritual cripple who would have crutches took them away. God performed a miracle. This morning, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, He's done that in you. He's hand-selected you. Taken the blinders off. Taken the crutches away. And He's allowed you to chase after Him. It's a mighty miracle of what he does through regeneration. Point number four this morning is the healing of saving grace. 
Look with me at verses 8 and 9. It says, Jesus said to him, he's in response to the man saying, look, no, one, no one's going to take me into these waters. Jesus says, get up. Take up your bed and walk. Now, stop there for a second. If you haven't walked in 38 years, and someone just said, this is simple. It's like, oh, why didn't I think of that? I should have just stood up and walked. I mean, this is like brilliant information. But there's something behind this that God can do that this man couldn't do. Where this man was helpless, had no strength of his own to do something, God has done a miracle in him. And when Jesus tells him, get up, look what he does. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. It doesn't say and he stood up and hobbled around and fell down a couple times. He stood up and was healed. That when the word of God came to him, it was immediate and it came in power and he was healed. And this is exactly how God saves sinners today. God doesn't wait for those who help themselves. You know, God's going to help them who helps them. He doesn't do that. Christ comes and speaks words of life to individuals. We see at once he was healed. Jesus, when he died on the cross, said, it is finished. He has paid the price once and forever that we can be freed, that we can be forgiven, that we can receive the mercy and the grace of God because of what Christ has done, that we can receive healing immediately. Church, some of you have physical ailments. You say, man, if only this physical ailment would go away. Do you realize that as a believer, you'll spend eternity with God in perfection? Right? For some of you who have ailments every day, you wake up with pains and aches to realize that I will still enjoy all the blessings of God, the things that I like about life, but without pains, without sorrow, with no tears, no nothing but perfection. How many of you think, man, if I could only, if I felt better today, I'd probably do some other stuff. Well, as a believer, eternity is a long time to do all those things. Eternity is a long time to enjoy all that. Jesus paid the price. It is finished. The healing of saving grace. Look, the Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And I know I've said it before, but have you ever looked at a dead person? They're not doing much. Look, at a funeral when I'm sitting there, and I'm standing at the pulpit, the person over there is not reaching out to me to come help them. They're dead. As a dead person, we don't reach out to God and say, God, I need help. He must come to us. He must come to rescue us. That's his saving grace. We read in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, in our trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Church, the more you understand about grace, the more in awe of God you are. The more you're able to look in the mirror and truly know who you're looking at and what they stand for, that even as a believer that you'll fall, and yet the grace of God is there, that forgiveness can be bestowed again and again and again. That we can keep walking in the faith, the grace of God. 
church, maybe you're here this morning, you're saying, yeah, but I'm still one of those people who like to help myself. I'm going to do all I can to get things done, and I'm going to go through life this way because I'm pretty good at it. The things that you cannot do, you cannot save yourself. You can't do anything spiritually good for yourself. It must be through the grace of God. God is not here to help those who help themselves. God is here to give hope to the helpless. But that is the most humbling thing to come to a point and saying, God, I need help because I'm helpless. I'm helpless. The helpless condition of man, it's all of us. But there's hope in sovereign grace that the word of God would go forward. And as you hear the word of God, even this morning, it is either causing your soul to rejoice because you're a believer. It's causing you to be uncomfortable and upset because maybe to you these things are folly and foolishness. Or for some of you, you're going, this is all making sense, perhaps for the first time today. That is by the grace of God. That the word would go forward and you'd be able to receive it. That he would do this work of regeneration in our lives. That he would give us a new heart and a new spirit. That he'd give us new desires to seek him and to serve him. And that there would be the healing of his saving grace. Church, we can go through, we can look at a miracle that Jesus does, his third recorded miracle, and say, well, that's nice. You know, I know he's, he's God and he can do what he wants. But there's bigger issues at the table. We're talking about eternity, not just one 38-year-old or one guy who's been 38 years as an invalid. We're talking about eternity for all of us. Is the Spirit of God inviting you unto himself? Jesus says, come to me. We've seen him say, come and drink, and you'll never thirst again. There are some in here who go through the motions week after week, month after month, of I'm a churchgoer, or I'm an occasional churchgoer. But do you know him? Has he called you unto himself? Respond. Cry out to him. Cry out. The Bible says that we are to repent and believe. Turn from ourself and turn to Jesus. Turn from our ways. And together we would rejoice together that we have a good God who's poured his grace out upon us in abundance that we would rejoice together. Let's pray, church. Father, for some of us, we're reminded once again of your amazing grace. That it's not to us, but it's to your name that all the glory should go. That, God, it's not by our will or exertion of our will or, or trying to, to seek after you and do what's right, but, God, it would be a miracle that you do it for us. And, God, I believe this morning that your spirit would be alive and well doing the same things in the hearts and minds of individuals here. Those who perhaps know that I've been on the fence, I've been going back and forth. But today, God, your spirit would call them unto yourself in genuine faith. That today you would do a miracle in them, that you would give them a new heart. That you'd put your spirit within them. That you would empower them to walk in a manner that's pleasing to you. That there would be a grace poured upon them, that there would be healing of their souls. Father, for the rest of us, God, may we be reminded and humbled by your sovereignty, by your goodness towards us. 